I'm really sorry. This is all my fault. I'm so sorry. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the unlucky 13th episode of the Old Thought Podcast, a podcast for science fiction and science fiction fandom. I'm John Coxon. I'm Alison Scott. And I'm Liz Batty. This is the episode for the 3rd of September 2020. Maybe this will be our final episode. Why will it be our final episode? It's unlucky 13th, you just said. Well, yeah, but I still want to keep going. Yeah, I was quite enjoying it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm worried now. I'm not saying I'm not. I'm just saying you just said it was unlucky. Maybe it will be unlucky by being our final (laughs) podcast. Live follow-up from Liz. She's breaking up with us on the podcast. You heard it here first, Liz, there. We have letters of comment from Excellent. two usual commenters and one unusual commenter. An unusual so the first commenter. one is Mark Plummer, um, who notes that Alison described Robert Silverberg as the only person left who has attended every Worldcon. Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. He notes that she probably means every Hugo presentation, unless he went to the first Worldcon when he was in, like, when he was four. Um, but Mark expresses doubt. Yeah, no, I'm just talking bollocks there. Sorry. We knew what you meant, so we didn't even question it. That's true. We should have stepped in and been like, Alison. But then Mark wouldn't have written to us, and that would have been a shame. So, you know. Or we could fact-check the podcast. That's not ever going to happen. We rely on our listeners for that. Yes, we have fact-checkers. This is the fact-checking. Claire Briley of Croydon writes in um, to um, comment on our podcast she writes lots of lovely things she notes the same comment about robert silverberg but she also says that mark's mentioned that to us already or no she says i bet mark's mentioned that to you already and she was right so you win the bet claire uh we owe you a pint a it was a very very good lock um and we very much enjoyed it so thank you very much for that and then ian Sorensen writes hello podophiles he notes that his concern with the Saudi Arabian bid for Worldcon was that if they had been nefarious, they could have bought a few thousand Worldcon memberships and just won. And that is a good point that I hadn't thought of and um, is an interesting thing to to kind of contemplate. I don't think there's a really good way of avoiding that ever happening because... Yeah, I'm going to say that that's a kind of, ooh, but any bid could theoretically, any bid could actually do it. The It's... It's when people say, well, any bid from a new country, um, obviously that could be its government planning to move in and do that. And you say that about Saudi Arabia and you say it about China, but you do not say it about New Zealand or Finland. I think you have to take a little step back and go, what what is going on when I say this? Um, because it's... It's not entirely a justifiable point. With China, there's a real risk of that um, because we know that the Chinese government is funneling money into the Chinese bidding process. Um, Or we we assume that it is because there's kind of because the Chinese bid gets, um, I'm doing square quotes here, sponsorship in a way that you would not normally expect a bid to get. Um, but I don't think you can say that about Saudi Arabia, and I don't think there's ever been any suggestion. I suspect that if the Saudi Arabian government were familiar with the work of the people who are putting on the Saudi Arabian bid, they would not only not want to um, win the world con for Saudi Arabia, they would prefer it didn't happen at all. 
We say that the Chinese government are sponsoring or funding money in the Chinese bid, but so far they've mostly funneled the money in by helping them have more people at a big convention they ran. Whereas I think using lots of money to essentially pay people to be supporting members of the WorldCon and pay the voting fees, uh, I think is a different use of your money, really. Yes, I, I, I should say we've seen no sign of that from China. <clears throat> no, and I think if you're the government, you say, well, why don't we just you know, help you hold this convention rather than, you know, essentially send a bunch of money in to fix you getting it. But for China, I can see that one way it might happen in a way that the Chinese government and the Chinese think is perfectly reasonable is for the Chinese government to say, oh, all of you people who are going to science fiction conventions in China anyway, we will help you get involved in this international thing by paying for your membership in, supporting membership in the bidding convention. And also he says that he has sent um, Lillian and Christina instructions on how to start editing a podcast, um, which is excellent because he says that the online tutorials he's done with them will either go on the podcast or in, in a video compilation on YouTube. And can I just say, Ian, that when that happens, I will be enthusiastically watching because that sounds amazing. Um, I have not tried to get Alison or Liz to edit the podcast um, because... I quite quite like editing the podcast, so it's all right. I I did think this was hilarious. I thought that this podcast was made up of two people who very much wanted to be on a podcast that somebody else edits, and one person who very much wants to edit a podcast. And and I'm assuming that most podcasts are like that. Yes. And I was quite surprised to to hear that Ian was actually trying to pass the editing duties off to one of the others. Listen to this never happens, which has now had four four episodes. And which talks about all sorts of things um, that are not science fiction or fandom. It talks about everything. In the last week, the news came out that Chadwick Boseman had died of cancer. Um, this is incredibly sad. Um, people listening to this podcast might know him best for his work as uh, T'Challa or Black Panther in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And obviously... This is a huge shock because I think we've all gotten um, used to the horrible headlines around COVID-19 and coronavirus and kind of a lot of illness and death. Um, but uh, Bozeman died of cancer and he's very young. Um, so this is a great shame. 43. I was very sad to hear of um, Chadwick Bozeman's death. I thought that was a great shame, etc. He's very, he was a very good actor. Did you see there was a link going around of him? They got people who thought they were talking to a Black Panther poster and he was hiding behind a curtain <laughs> and would pop out and surprise them. <laughs> and it's brilliant. That is um, that is quite excellent, isn't it? Because there's lots of people and they're they're I, I think they thought they were gonna be on they thought they were gonna be on something. So it's like basically talk to this big Black Panther poster and you know, tell us what you really feel. And they're all so um it's all black people and they're all so sort of excited and they're so grateful to him and things like that and there's but there's one guy who says things like you know i've seen it twice at cinema and then once a bootleg and then like chadwick boseman popped out and was like you bootlegged my film and the guy's like no <laughs> <laughs> that is excellent but where he comes out and says the guy's name you know and the guy's name is obviously like quite a long complicated one and the guy's just like he's like and you said my name right which i thought was quite uh yeah, just just watch the video because it was so, and it, it's so lovely, and it's it's someone who went to the same college as him saying, you know, how lovely it is to see that representation on the big screen, and then of course like he pops out and is like super charming and super cool, and they're all like gobsmacked, and it's amazing. 
Yay. So I, I watched Black Panther last night. It's trending on Apple TV because everyone is, is doing that. I said to um, Mariano, I guess a lot of white folks who haven't quite got round to Black Panther are going to watch it this weekend. Yeah, that. Oh, that's a good. That's a good point as well. I hadn't thought of that, but yes. And that was me. I was that person. It's quite a good film. Yeah, I mean, I, I should say that I was not watching. I was not watching Black Panther um, from the point of view. I was watching it and and looking at it as, I, am I enjoying this movie? Do I think it is a good movie? Um, is it the sort of movie I like to see? All of that. Um, Taken as, uh, look how much money they spent on a film where almost every major character is black. It's an absolute f***ing masterpiece. I've been kind of going, oh, I wish they were making more use of Black Panther because he's a really good character and I'm not sure why he's not getting more time in Marvel movies. And I think I now know the answer to that question. And Marianne was like, who is the next Black Panther going to be? Because it could be, it could be his, his sister or his son that we don't know about yet or his um girlfriend or or a random black boy from america i think it'll be it would be cool if they did um shuri but um obviously because she has like her own i'm not sure if she's ever been the black panther she might well have been but like i think of her more as like she is so much better suited in that kind of being the amazing scientist role that making her into the Black Panther seems like it would almost be a demotion. Q. The code name for that role is Q. I understand that Shuri in the comics has been Black Panther, but it's kind of been set up that she'd always wanted to be Black Panther. Please, comics, more avid comics readers than me, please write in and correct me if any of that is wrong. And so I could see her taking up the Black Panther mantle. And I think it's... It would be interesting to see someone who is more sort of technology focused really take that on. I guess maybe they're shying away from that a little bit because it's a bit similar to, say, Iron Man and, you know, using a lot of technology. Um, but I think it could be really good. I agree that I don't think they're going to want, you know, they're not going to want to recast Black Panther. They're never going to recast T'Challa. So I am confident that if Ryan Coogler continues to make Black Panther 2, that he will come up with a really good way of handling it. I hope the actor they'll get to do it is Winston Duke, the guy who played Dominic in Person of Interest. He was the co-lead in Us. Oh, you think that they'll recast the same character? No, no, I don't. Oh, Winston Duke was already in, right? Yeah, he, he played M'Baku, the chief that doesn't take part in Wakanda and, and um, T'Challa brings him into the fold. I think he would make a great Black Panther because I think he's a great actor. He's His profile has been rising. He was in Us. He's been a person of interest. He's been in a few other things as well. He did have the funniest line in that film also. And yeah, and I just think he would be a really great choice. So if they're not going to make it Shuri, then I think he would be a good pick. He's not done much movie work, but he's great. Is he in the bloodline? You don't have to be. That's not how Wakandan politics works. Okay. But you probably do have to challenge, but you probably could challenge. So that's and that would kind of fit in quite well. Depending on how good they are with like, um, they're going to have to. I don't know what happens in Wakanda if I, I assume this is in the comic somewhere, but I don't know what happens if the king dies before someone can challenge for the throne. The Jabara is it Jabara? I'm sorry, I'm not really up on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You should probably get the name right. I think they are the Jabari. 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 Um, one wrinkle with that is that he. Uh, M'Baku in the comics is uh, the villain Manape, who is um, like obviously a baddie. Um, whether or not 
the Marvel Cinematic Universe will go with a uh, black uh, supervillain called Man Ape, given that that seems like an obviously terrible name for a supervillain who is black. Uh, I suspect means that he's not going. They weren't going to do that with that character either way, uh, and so I think he would be a good choice. But we will see. He certainly, to me, he's he's to me, he seems like the best choice. I hope they go with him because I'm a huge fan of his work. I think the fact they actually played, they played with the fact in the film that comic book viewers or readers will have known that that was the character. So they played quite hard with the is this a villain or not in the film. So they've already they've already gone there. They've made it clear he's not a villain. I think so. This is a spoiler for Black Panther, so here's a spoiler warning. <laughs> there is a point in the movie where where these guys turn up having previously said they're not going to, and it's like bloody Gandalf riding down on Shadowfax. Hey, that's a spoiler for Lord of the Rings, Alison. It is also a spoiler for Lord of the Rings, but tough. Well, she didn't say what Shadowfax was. Shadowfax could be like a tank. Yeah, or a, or a giant armor-plated rhino. I did like the giant armor-plated rhinos. I did like the giant armor-plated rhinos, yeah. In the, it, so in the positive qualities of um, Black Panther, the fact that I enjoyed it, that it used a lot of um, African cultural stuff in a way that was actually not crappy. And in the list of things I did not really like about it were the fact that enormous amounts of it appeared to be cliches bolted on from other bits of other movies. And I, su- I suppose that, that is normal. And and the general level of comprehension required to understand the movie was consistent with a movie where you had Lillian sitting next to you talking all the way through it, which I, I, kind, of, I kind of missed Lillian. I would really have liked to have Lillian sitting on my sofa drinking red wine for, for yesterday evening for that movie and talking all the way through the film, which is what she does. You froze for like 30 seconds, and then I just got a Lillian drinking red wine on my sofa. <laughs> so I have no idea what you said. Oh, and also I, I watched a fascinating video on, I don't know how much of this we're going to use, on movie music, which is, okay, there's a very good video on the internet about why a lot of the music in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and other modern movies is bad. And it's because they basically send the composer a kind of... Um, uh, George Lucas-like um, made-up list of things that they think are the sort of thing they would like the music to sound like, and then the composer goes and writes music that sounds a bit like that. Right, well, one of the, one of the things that they have used for the score of Black Panther is the opening music for The Lion King, and that was a really, really, really bad choice. So there's this side, da 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 oh, and, and Marianne's, like, singing along with Disney movies at that point. Well, you would be seeing along with a Disney movie. You're watching one. I understand that. And I, I did say to her then, well, MCU has been bought by Disney, but I'm not sure. Had, was did, did Disney own it at that point? Yeah, Disney owned it well before. Yeah, Disney's owned it for years and years. Okay, so so in general, I guess my 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 problem with the whole of the MCU and, is that, and maybe the whole of Disney Plus, apart from Hamilton, is that the entire thing appears to be pitched at a reasonably literate 11 year old child and i am not that person no you're an illiterate 11 year old child oh thanks for that that's all right um someone actually made a really good point which is disney is the last entertainment company because all the others are now just the video divisions of mobile phone companies uh or dot-com startups and disney is the last movie studio standing which is a really really discombobulating statement that doesn't make any sense to start thinking about it you're like oh yeah because it's disney at&t comcast netflix amazon and apple 
Sony Time Warner, isn't it? I don't know. Maybe I don't. Time Warner's owned by AT and T. Yeah. Okay. No, they're they're all they're all they're all either dot com startups, um, the video divisions of mobile phone companies, or Disney. Those are the options. It's weird. I'm feeling better about my Disney Plus subscription because I the only reason we were watching Black Panther in the first place support independent artists by Disney <laughs> by Disney by Disney by Disney also um Disney acquired Marvel 11 years ago uh 11 years ago tomorrow in fact I feel like it may have become more like a Disney company more recently Disney acquired Marvel like before they even released Avengers Assemble so I guess the sort of second and third phases of the Marvel universe have been completely while well, they've been a Disney owned um subsidiary i guess yeah should we pivot to being a marvel podcast because we probably get a lot more viewers that way we won't get any viewers we're a podcast listeners should we pivot to being a marvel podcast because we probably get a lot more listeners that way no because every time you say that every every time you give your opinions on marvel movies we will lose listeners and so this is a net drop in listeners almost certainly oh so you think that people who like marvel podcasts think that marvel movies are cleverer and more yeah they probably do think they're cleverer than they are yeah i think i think you said they were aimed at a mostly literate 11 year old and i suspect the people who are listening to marvel podcasts would object to that uh, characterization of themselves possibly it's, it's like there's a chance they are kind of towards the lower end of the middle brow <laughs> that i think you think that's you being tactful uh <laughs> which i very much enjoy uh, <laughs> but they they really they they just they're they're very very easy to consume aren't they oh yeah i mean i think that's probably true um (laughs) but i'm not not sure um it doesn't make them bad last weekend as we record was nasfic the north american science fiction convention nasfic is held in years where the Worldcon can't be held in america and obviously this year the Worldcon was held on the internet so therefore nasfic had to be held um it was held in columbus ohio except it wasn't it was also held on the internet because of just as our window liz and allison spent some time at nasfic um what were your experiences like liz and allison I have to start with a kind of contractual statement, which I will say every time the NASFIC is mentioned, that the provision for NASFIC is contained in the World Science Fiction Society's constitution, and it definitely shouldn't be. And this winds Europe fans who are not from North America up quite immeasurably, but nevertheless, it never goes away. So there is always a NASFIC, but only in years that there isn't a Worldcon. And it's it's slightly strange convention for that reason normally, because it normally comprises those those fans who are rich enough to go to both the Worldcon and NASFIC and those fans who cannot possibly attend um a European or Australian Worldcon but would quite like to go to a national convention anyway. Um and so therefore I've never been to a NASFIC before, but I got invited to um, sign up for programming for this one. So I did do, and they put me on some program. Um, all of my program was on Friday, and I did that, and then I hung out with people, and I made some arrangements to work on the Glasgow desk. And then I actually had actual life things on the Saturday and the Sunday when I went out and met real people in the real world, you know, like we used to do. So I ended up not spending anything like as much time at the... NASFIC as I might otherwise have done um, but I did 
sit on the Glasgow desk, which was a lot of fun. Support Glasgow in 2024. If you haven't supported it yet, it's very easy to do so at their website, a link to which will be in the show notes. And um, and the programme items I was on, which were about um, doing FANAC in the age of um, COVID and um, trying to sell things at online events were quite interesting and I enjoyed them a lot but I didn't get to a lot of the programme otherwise and I feel that this is one of the things that's now happening with online conventions which is that the real world is more exciting a lot of the time. So yeah this was the first virtual convention I've actually been to largely because it was free uh, so I could just pop in and out so I did join the discord and had fun poking around a bit on the discord I <clears throat> I went to two panels because the problem is that uh, Columbus, Ohio is 11 hours behind. I will say that it took me quite a lot of digging to figure that out because the front page of the NASFIC website does not at any point tell you its time zone or even tell you that it's the Columbus in Ohio. So I will reiterate my plea for every convention to either put their like times in UTC or at least tell me their time zone. Um, but I managed to figure this out. And so I could basically go to maybe two program items because they were the ones that were held while I was awake. So I went to the item that was Farah Mendelssohn and Alec Navala Lee talking about researching uh, golden age science fiction in the present day. I really wanted to go to that. Moderated by Nicholas White, and it was great. Um, it was one where it was exactly the right. It was exactly the right set of people with a very good moderator, and the two of them probably could have talked for at least two hours, and I would not have been bored. Um, and I found it really interesting. And you can go back and watch that. I also went to a panel on Afrofuturism, uh, which was straight after that with a large number of people on. And that was good, but it worked a little less well, partly because one of the participants was having uh, internet issues and sort of dropped in and out. Um, and secondly, because it was a larger panel, and I think it is much harder to moderate a panel of four or five people on Zoom, because a lot of the things you might do just don't really come across like I think if you're sitting in the same room as people you can kind of try and encourage them to maybe wrap up and we'll move on to the next person if someone is uh, you know basically every time they respond to a question they have a lot to say you can sort of try and push that along I think more gently or maybe break in at a point where there's a, a break but I feel on zoom people because of there's a time delay and because you're not in the same room you have to basically let everything play out and so that was a little detrimental because it felt like some people um, didn't quite get to say quite as much as other people on the panel. But actually everyone on the panel, what they were saying was really interesting. So maybe the solution is that it should have been a 90 minute panel with more room for these things to more room for discussion to happen. And I also did find the fact that there were sort of 50 minute panels with then 10 minutes to sort of change over. I think you could have pushed that a little bit because there's no reason it couldn't be 55 minutes. I don't think you need the massive 10 minute gap you could get away with just a five minute quick break. I'm going to, I'm going to slightly disagree with that. Uh, in that I think that the 10 minute break is very nice because, and this is going to be very base, but if one needs a poo, one needs 10 minutes. And the number of professional meetings I've had where it's a five minute break and it just means the entire day, I don't have room to do certain biological things I would quite like to be able to do. Um, I'm getting progressively pissed off for people who are like, five minutes will be fine. No, no, 10 minutes is good. I don't need, I don't need the 10 minutes every time, but the time I do need the 10 minutes, I really need the 10 minutes. Um, so yes, sorry to our listeners who may not want to know these things. I'm going to disagree with this from the other point of view, which is that I was Zoom host for a few things at Con Zealand and the amount of 
the amount of hardness it is to change a room over in five minutes is very great. Now, in fact, um, Disco- uh, Nasvik actually had two was running two rooms in parallel, so I don't think anyone actually had to do that. But if you are having to change over a Zoom room in five minutes, it's it's impossible. And people might have been programmed sequentially, which and ten minutes is not really enough time for panelists to 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 get sorted for another item. So so I think ten minutes is fine. So I will I will push back that if you're paneling, you you probably should not be putting people on back to back panels anyway, because whether you give them a ten minute break or not. It is hard work. They did have two different rooms they could be using. And it just felt like we were cutting off at, you know, 10.50 when they hadn't really had much time in those 50 minutes to expound on it. Once we actually get the hang of how to get people to buy from dealers at an online event, which, you know, they would like to do. Dealers have things that the members would have not seen before and would really like to own. And the members are inclined to buy things from dealers, but the process of putting them together is completely failing at the moment in a way that's making everybody very sad. And if we had a 10-minute break, I think one of the things we could be doing with the 10-minute break is, here's, here's, the sponsored deal, here's the featured dealer for this 10-minute break. Go and see their stuff. I mean, the other thing about dealers' rooms is, even if you showed me a bunch of stuff in that 10-minute gap, I likely wouldn't buy it. And the reason I likely am not buying anything from dealers is unless it is like ebooks or something, I'm not buying anything because I don't know when it will arrive at my house. So, you know, electronic dealers rooms fundamentally for me are a, a thing that doesn't work because I have no idea how long the post is currently taking to get to me, but it could be, I think it's probably months. So overall, online sales remain strong. One of the things that was really interesting about this at the UK Games Expo is a lot of dealers had a lot of trouble. Um, like the number of people that they expected to get through was was vastly lower. And the problem with dealers on the internet, and I think I think Alison is slightly wrong here, is that I impulse buy stuff in person that I would not impulse buy um at home and i think the context of a convention where you get to go on holiday i buy things on holiday that i would never ever buy when i was not on holiday conventions are very much an example of that mindset and this uk games expo i didn't spend anything my usual budget for a uk games expo is around 200 pounds so like the the disparity there between like my usual behavior and my online behavior is vast and I've, i can imagine for a lot of other people it is too so i think dealers are a really difficult thing but i think a lot of that is psychological and i'm not sure to what extent it's because we don't have the platforms versus um other considerations sorry allison tell me why i'm wrong i i feel that this is it's like parties it's one of the things where you could either wring your hands or you could look at what will help work to help with that yes fair enough and I feel because it, it's it's kind of a third way of selling. So you've got people who they, they've been saying, oh, it's been really difficult for people who are used to selling face to face to move online. And all the dealers are like, no, we do have established online shops because we're not actually dealing from the past here. Um, it's not about physical sales or online sales and, and online sales remain strong. There's no in general, people are still buying things online. It's actually trying to find whether it is possible to create a market for selling at these online events. And in particular, for finding a way to highlight the fact that you can get unique things from dealers in our field that you cannot, 
that you will probably not find just by browsing the internet because because they are marketing they can market directly to you um now it won't work for dealers who are selling things that are easily available from from other large companies but lots of dealers are selling unique things and i feel like those dealers ought to be able to do we ought to be able to find a way to make that work anyway and if we can't i will just walk away i've i've said i'm not ever i'm not paying any more money for a dealer's table at an online event until until this is cracked you know, I feel that that although I did not lose money at um, Conzealand, the money I spent for a dealer's table there was largely wasted. Dealers, it sounds a little bit similar to something that Bristol Con uh, does, or at least used to when I went to Couple, which is between panels, they would have like a very short five to ten minute reading slot, usually for an up and coming author to come and read their work out. And it didn't really work for me because I'm distracted by moving rooms and working out where I've put my phone and getting myself set for the next panel. So I'm not listening to this poor person reading at the front of the room. So I worry if you use that 10 minutes to kind of advertise dealer stuff, you would see like the number of people in the Zoom just like ticking slowly downwards. That could be quite demoralizing. But I don't I don't have a good solution to the online dealer's room thing. The point I was trying to make is that I, I think that is a really difficult problem and I don't I also don't have any good ideas about how to solve it. I think it is. I think you're right. I think people do are not in really the right places to be spending the sort of money that they might spend in a dealer's room if they're at an in-person convention right now as well. Well, I think I will actually say I tell a lie slightly because I did buy some swag, um, swag. from both the UK Games Expo and from uh, Farcomcom, which was a... So the UK, sorry, I should have said this. The UK Games Expo was a convention held at the same time as NASFIC, which I spent my time at. The one thing I bought at the UK Games Expo was a Games Expo 2020 dice bag. And the one thing I bought at Farcom Con was a set of Altar cards for Arkham Horror. And the thing they both had in common was that there was a time-limited aspect to the purchase. Um, the Altar cards had a discount for the duration of the convention, and the dice pouch was only available to buy that weekend. And so I didn't think, oh, I can just put this off for a month and it'll be fine. I'll put part the page and then never buy it. What I did was I bought it then because there was a reason to buy it then. And I think the way that you capture the impulse purchase thing is you have like all my stuff is 20 percent off if you use this convention specific code that is valid until monday and i think that might help but obviously uh my great revelation here is that making things cheaper makes things people more likely to buy them and i'm sure that most traders have already thought of that um it does but you can put your prices up by 20 percent then give people a 20 percent discount code it works just as well but alison that would be dishonest You'd think, wouldn't you? Um, so in Britain, there's some trading laws that don't that limit the extent to which you could do this. But when you're trading globally, those really don't apply. And I think the trading standards would have very great difficulty in enforcing them on you. But often when you see things being sold at a discount, um, you should just assume, just assume that the price you're being charged is the actual price for that item. And it, not, it is not, in fact, at a discount. You do have to put it back up to the regular cost afterwards. Otherwise, people will notice and get offended with you. You could have time-limited ones. But um, limited edition things just for an event are good, and I might use them in the future. Time-limited stuff seems like a good a good idea. Something you can only buy that weekend. And hopefully in price ranges where people do think, oh, an impulse, I can impulse buy it this weekend. Um, the other thing I wanted to say about this was um, because they're five hours behind parties were at an inconvenient time 
um, and they had two lots of parties. They had one using a scheme called Gather Town, which is a large space in which people can move, little avatars of people can move around. And then when you get into groups close to people, it set, it spits up a Zoom-like window with their video faces. And this actually worked okay. It felt very beta, but it felt like, and, and I've used similar systems in the past as tests. It worked, looked like something that could be made to work with a bit of, with a bit of work. Um, it, it had, it suffered one attendee was letting their child run all around this space. And, and so that child kept kind of, their video would appear for about three seconds through your, through your party as they were laughing and joking. And I, that really accurately, um, recreated the experience of having an eight year old running round a bar to me and while I didn't enjoy it I thought oh well maybe we're getting somewhere with this replicating the feeling of being in a bar so I I I quite liked it the actual video as ever is not as good as zoom if zoom put a layer like that on top of the zoom function we've already got so in the corner you would see the local area of your bar and a list of all the people and you could see a list of all the people in the bar generally I think that would be pretty killer um the other night's parties were um on zoom but because i'd actually been at a real party in the real world with real people that day i was not capable of attending a party at what started at midnight my time by which time i was fast asleep so but i'm that was a normal zoom party of the sort that we've been doing and i think that was also pretty successful again i would like more parties at different times of the day please i will say i didn't go to i didn't go to nasvik and i in general, like with reconvene, um, which was the weekend before NASPIC, I think. Um, I think that's right. Um, I paid my ten dollars and I actually didn't really feel like I got ten dollars worth of enjoyment out of the convention. I think the thing I am learning in lockdown is that conventions for me are very much social spaces and not spaces to receive information. I go to the panels because I enjoy them, but if it was just panels with no social space, I would not go to conventions. And I think what I'm learning is that online conventions, which are basically just panels with no social space, are very much not a value proposition for me, um, which is not a criticism of them, because I appreciate there is an audience for that. But certainly it is not it is not my cup of tea. I, I will say, as ever, that I, am, I want more conventions to do more thinking about the virtual social space and make it better uh, the panels are quite useful so that you have something to talk about in the social spaces something else we should probably say about nasvik is that they tried a new method of showing panels to people which is that they only put the panel participants into the zoom and they put every and then they used vimeo i think to display to everyone the panel and the discord chat in a kind of single window and this had the effect of making the panel very, very small for a lot of people. I don't know whether the person who came up with that idea was doing it on a 27-inch monitor, but they were wrong and this was a mistake. I mean, they embedded in their website a thing that let you have the Vimeo and the Discord side by side, but you could just have the Vimeo as a stream. And in fact, I did it by eventually working out how to cast it to my TV. So there was nothing saying you had to only view it on their site. It worked perfectly fine. Oh, yeah. I mean, it took a bit of budging because I couldn't get it on my Chromecast very well. But once I got it sorted, I did. So I basically view this as, oh, well, I'm going to watch panels instead of TV for a couple of hours this evening. And I didn't really engage with the Discord at the same time. But there were people asking questions through the Discord. Yes, that 
Now, we had two, I did two panels and in one of them, so we they sent us both tips for being a good online panellist and tips for being a good online panel moderator. And I didn't moderate a panel at this one. Um, but one of the panel moderators was a very good panel moderator. They were using the Zoom chat, which is not, because only the panellists are in Zoom, is only for the panellists. They were using that to um, queue up the next topic of conversation and tell people to wrap up and um, and invite people, say, I'm, go- I'm next going to ask you to talk about X. Uh, so you could have a little bit of time to think about it. And she was also very good at like bringing people in to the conversation just the way a good moderator should. And the other moderator was appalling. And I'm kind of like, why are people like this? And they weren't a bad person or or, or <laughs> they boring or evil. anything. They just didn't do any of the things that you want a moderator to do at all. So they weren't really directing the flow of conversation or bringing people in or asking them about particular topics and and i i've i've kind of lost my you know they 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 start you know you're in trouble because you get to the panel early and i say well what are your plans for the panel oh moderator and they're kind of like oh i just thought i'd see where the conversation went boo and i i'm kind of done with this at this point i was on a panel at uh dublin and um, the moderator the day before the convention started had not sent a message saying, here's the flow of conversation. So I did. I sent the message saying, I think the flow of conversation should be this. I don't know whether the moderator will agree, but here is my initial pitch. And then the moderator had to come up with a flow of conversation because otherwise it would be by default the one I had decided on. And I felt very passive aggressive for doing it that way. But I was like, I, ref- I, I am, as I get older progressively less willing to put up with moderators who don't put any effort into their panels especially when i put effort into moderating my panels and so i'm quite happy to be like well as a panelist here is the list of things i will ask my fellow panelists about and if you don't want that to be the conversation you need to go up with a better one because this is now my de facto plan I am perfectly happy for the moderator to do all that work, the, the work that the moderator has to do for the, for, to prepare for a panel. I am perfectly happy for them to do all that work in the 10 minutes before the panel in the green room. This isn't going to come as a surprise to either of you guys, though I do actually manage to email round people. I'm not that bad. But, um, but the, the kind of, oh, I'm just happy to let things drift especially in an online con where we know now that letting things drift really does not work in a really big way. (laughs) You know, it's just not good enough. Yep. I mean, speaking as someone who edits a podcast, I can confirm that that is true. (laughs) Um, So I I I will very quickly run through my experiences of UK Games Expo. Firstly, Liz was there, which was delightful. And I believe Alison was on the UK Games Expo Discord as well. Couldn't get um, there. Couldn't get there. Oh, Too much on last weekend. I got a lot of badges. Part of the, the other shameful um, admission is the part of the reason I bought merch is because you had achievement badges on your profile through the weekend. Uh, and there was an achievement badge for buying someone a virtual beer, an achievement badge for buying someone a virtual hot dog, an achievement badge for, for donating to the UK Games Expo, and an achievement badge for buying merch. And I have all four of those achievement badges, which is about oh. 20 quid I wouldn't have spent if they didn't have achievements. So, like, that's another way. Gamify it. And they <laughs> gamified it good. I saw that the list of... because I. 
I got, despite the fact that I didn't do a lot in UK Games Expo, I got some badges and I was like, ooh, achievements. I like achievements. I am yep. I am a monkey. <laughs> you, know, you can make me happy with gold stars. And I went and looked at the list of the achievements and I saw that buy something from a dealer achievement. And I was like, yeah. And I didn't write it down anywhere. But if you're organising online con... Ribbons, virtual ribbons. Don't do it as virtual achievements. Do it as virtual ribbons because that's more fanish. Virtual ribbons and have. I bought something from the dealer's room and I bought something from the art show as virtual ribbons. Yeah. Yep. How did they implement them? Because Nasfic had virtual ribbons, but you just clicked on a little emoji on a on a chat window. So no. So in the UK Games Expo. Um, to get an achievement, so like there was an achievement for going to each of the key sponsors' um, stands, which were pages in the dealer's hall, which was only accessible if you'd registered. And if you went to them, you unlocked the badge for going to that stand. Um, and then each exhibitor, exhibitors were given links that once you'd done a demo with them or interacted with them meaningfully they could send you a a, a unique link and you clicked the link and it awarded you that badge so like um if you took demos for games you couldn't just farm a bunch of links cheekily you had to actually do demos um and it worked it was very good I, i have no idea what level of technical um investment was required to set all this up um but it was great i think lower than the amount of technical investment than con zealand put into its 3d dealers hall you know i think oh yeah 100 percent. um it's not that much what they did was that every member of the convention and i think this is something that every online pay- con should do this is a really good idea um had, had essentially a profile page that people could visit um and we could do that for any con. And then when you met somebody, you could go and see their profile page. And people could, I don't think they could at UK Games Expo, but you could have people personalise that with their picture of their bio, just as if they were programme participant, but for everyone. And then the the, the, the achievements were all that could all be there. You know, this, is, this, this feels like very basic web design to me that I could do. Um, I would I would cry. I would have to spend a long time on it and I would cry and curse a lot, but I could implement this thing. And I should say, I could not implement a 3D dealer's hall. No way. Um, so I think, I think in general, um, the like the personalization, the limit of the personalization with the UK Games Expo was basically like you can you can send people a list of the badges you've got, um, but like there is no reason you couldn't have had it be like a customization, a customizable page. I suspect, and that could have worked really well. I think that would be lovely, and I think it would be really nice to. Because you do meet people in passing at these online cons. And I mean, I, you do in real life as well, but you it's hard to get a sense of what they're like. I'd have liked to do it for my fellow panellists as well. I'd like more information about the people I was on panels with, both before and after I was on the panels with them. That was indeed the 13th episode of the Octothought podcast. So for now, it is goodbye from me. It is goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. The theme music for this episode was Fanfare for Space by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetech.com, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. Hello, sorry, I was in a totally different Zoom link. Yay! You were right. John was John has won because he, patriarchy. What?
This is an outrage. I clicked the link. I have a link favourited, which says Alison Zoom. And I clicked that link. And now I am with Alison and Liz. I fail to see how I have done anything wrong. Okay, because the that's the morning coffee Zoom. And a lot of people have that link. So theoretically, we could get Zoom bombed on it. So I'd run these Zooms off my personal Zoom meeting link. But obviously, none of, there is no actual risk here, really. Someone who knows you from Coffee Mornings joins in the podcast and then we have to kick them out. It doesn't seem like a lot of a risk. That would actually probably be quite fun. An improvement on the podcast. Never tell Lillian that this is how she becomes a guest. Uh, yeah, no, never tell Lillian we're doing it. Do we have to bleep swears? Yeah, we do. If you are an explicit tagged podcast and someone has parental controls turned on, their children cannot listen to any podcast that is listed as explicit. Just so you can say f- I mean, can they voluntarily block us? Like, can, can parents decide, no, I don't want my children listening to those reprobates on the Octothorpe podcast and, like, preemptively block it? Obviously, this is a huge issue. Uh, I think I should mention here that this is all based on a US understanding of what is meant by a swear word. Yeah, because we all know that if I call Alison a f- that's just that's just that's just pub talk, you know. That's not explicit. It's just nice. That's gonna get cut out. They can, but just bleep the swear words entirely, so we have no idea what you called Alison. <laughs> that's rare. I think that's great, actually. <laughs> <clears throat> what if I say that John is an absolute? Oh, let me think of a good. Um... Oh no. Uh, yeah. If I say that John is an absolute wank muppet who talks nothing but bollocks, none of that is going to be is going to trouble the Americans in any sort of way because it's not part of the set of words that they consider rude. Anyway, I'm not sure whether the Americans consider wank rude. They don't consider wank rude. They don't consider bollocks rude. In particular, they don't consider bollocks rude at all. They don't really understand that the British think that bollocks is quite a rude word. Yeah, well, it's bollocks, isn't it? Well, it's Americans, isn't it? It's all bollocks. Um, um, right. Don't write in. We were presumably going to <laughs> do a podcast and not well, just say British I, swear I, words. Fair, I'd, I'd rather talk about swear words for forty-five minutes than um, the, the the retro Hugo's. But I suppose this is. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so let me get these show notes.